0: The easiest place in this country to rape a woman and get away with it is Parliament House in Canberra. We know now that Brittany Higgins, well before this happened, tweeted something or messaged someone about um, how good it would be to have a political scandal to to damage the government. This is long before it happened. Uh, And we know now that Um, There was an audio of a long five-hour conversation that's been released between Brittany Higgins, her boyfriend, and one of our top TV people, a woman called Lisa Wilkinson, plotting to use this rape allegation to damage the government.
1: Welcome to the New Flash Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Astro, and with me is Ricky Orpike. Ricky, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I tell you what, Ricky, uh, we have a, a very special guest today. Someone who who started it all, didn't she? Really? She did, yeah. She was one of our uh, first ever guests on this podcast. Yes, and I think other people saw the name and they were like, she's going on, I'm coming on, and then here we are. Bettina, uh, the stuff she has to say, she's bringing the smoke. I tell you what, like, like some of you listening, you're going to get hot. I know it. I think so, yeah. Yeah, but just... Um, you know, enjoy. You enjoy that, All
2: right. <laughs> well, we do. We do get deep in on the uh, Britney Higgins saga, which is something we haven't really spoken about on this show, but is fascinating. And people have been following that story here in Australia. Uh, we also cover something called debanking, which uh, was something that's a term I hadn't come across, uh, but a concept that I was kind of familiar with. Um, so definitely stick around. There's some great stuff uh, to learn about in this episode. On with the show well we always tell you the truth here at the new Flesh podcast and the truth is that we need your help we need you to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to the show we're also on youtube so please subscribe to our youtube channel and leave a comment about a show you liked or perhaps one that you didn't we do live in a democracy after all It's actually not a bad place to have a chat with us as well so uh word of mouth is also a very powerful tool so please tell all of your friends and finally to our uber fans if you love what we do you can send us a little cash via the buy me a coffee platform any donation here is very much appreciated and now on with the show Australian icon Bettina Arndt trained as a clinical psychologist and worked first as a sex therapist and then a social commentator. Bettina Arndt's career has spanned four decades and has seen life on many Australian TV shows, on radio and in print. Her most recent focus has been on men's issues, including family court, false rape allegations, the fake campus rape crisis, and highlighting the excesses of the hashtag MeToo movement. Bettina was one of the first guests to appear on this show. She took a risk then, and she's back to do it again. Bettina, welcome back to the New Flash podcast.
0: Thank you, guys. Nice to see you.
2: Now, we are going to set the stage this morning. We, we want to talk about the Brittany Higgins case, which we haven't really covered on this on this podcast. And we also want to talk about something called uh, a, a new thing, a newish phenomenon called debanking. So um, maybe we need to set, set the stage first for our international audiences who may not be familiar with who Brittany Higgins is because it is a very Australia-specific case. So I might give a brief overview and then feel free to chime in if, you're, if I forget anything. So, so a few years ago during the uh, Me Too movement, a political staffer alleged that she was sexually assaulted in Australia's Parliament House in Canberra. At the time, this was used as a weapon against the then government led by Prime Minister Scott Morrison. This dominated Question Time, with the opposition asking what they knew, when they knew it, how did they help this girl, did they take it to the police, and this was used to embarrass the government and to construct this narrative that the Liberal government, which is our centre-right party here in Australia, has a problem with women. Now, this allegation was never proven in court as there was a a mistrial due to a jury misconduct. Uh, The alleged perpetrator, a guy called Bruce Lerman, has not been able to officially clear his name. uh, And and now, since then, there's been a stream of new information about the prosecution's lack of evidence, uh, Brittany Higgins' interactions with reporter Lisa Wilkinson and Labour politicians, uh, all of which took place before she went to the police about the alleged rape. Now, I believe the wash up is that Brittany Higgins has walked away with $2 million of taxpayer money. Bruce Lerman is pursuing a defamation case and the public is growing increasingly suspicious uh, with Higgins. Does that sound about right, Bettina?
0: Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. I mean, this is the most amazing case, um, which has dominated our media for years now in Australia. And it was riveting from the moment we first heard about it. I mean, this young woman is found in Parliament House asleep on her boss's couch. The boss was the finance minister. She's half naked, pretty drunk, um, and she knew she was going to be in big trouble. The guy she'd walked into Parliament with um, was one of her colleagues, Bruce Lem, and a bunch of them had all been out drinking. Um, she saw Bruce being fired by their CEO for, you know, having been caught out doing what was, you know, this inappropriate behaviour, going into Parliament House at that night and getting being pretty pissed and so on. And she knew she was going to be fired, so she blurts out that she's been raped. That's where it all started. As soon as I wrote about that, that you know, in the next few days, I was just swamped with people writing from all over Australia Saying this didn't pass what we call the pub test in Australia, which means you know that ordinary people just didn't believe her story that this was a rape. Um, it just seemed too convenient that she managed to avoid being sacked, and then suddenly became the object of huge public sympathy because of this dreadful rape in Parliament. Um, it did it, her story just didn't stack up. And yet, people didn't dare publicly talk about it because she was immediately set up as the great hero of the B2 movement. Um, This was a fantastic scandal uh, happening in a center of government. And from the start, she was idealized by most of our media, presented as this great hero. There was a a Women for Justice march, thousands of people all over Australia marched. You know, supporting more protection for women, and as you said, I mean, this was used essentially to, as one of the major means, means of bringing down the conservative government. It was absolutely weaponized against the government.
1: But what was it about this story, Bettina? Because this, this, this was massive. It has been massive, and it continues to be massive. Uh, is it a case that it that it met the moment in that uh, there was a. Uh sort of the the um the 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 me too movement was was you know really rolling at that point and uh, is it also because i mean let's face it initially it's it's a bit like a 90s political thriller we've got sexy naked people in parliament house like like to get the ball rolling and then it hits the me too wave is is this a sort of a plausible uh, explanation of why we we're, we're all still talking about
0: it Oh look! It's more. Yeah, that's true, but it's also more than that. We know now how orchestrated this all was. We know now that Brittany Higgins, well before this happened, tweeted something or messaged someone about um, how good it would be to have a political scandal to to damage the government. This is long before it happened, Uh, and we know now that. Um, there was an audio of a long five-hour conversation has been released between Brittany Higgins, her boyfriend, and one of our top TV people, a woman called Lisa Wilkinson, plotting to use this rape allegation to damage the government. And they talk about bringing in Labour ministers to ask questions. I mean, it's the most extraordinary revelation. This was all on a big television interview that happened just a month or so ago where Bruce Lehman for the first time spoke out about what happened to the, him, but um, actually I suppose a big revelation was this this tape of this plotting of the use of this allegation to damage the government. and. I mean, it's been immensely, I think it's been immensely damaging, not only to Brittany Higgins, because she was shown to be really vicious and gleeful about the idea that her accusation could be used to that effect. Um, but also the, the Labour ministers who've denied <coughs> that they were actually involved in, 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 they've denied that they knew anything about this prior to the whole accusation being made public, and Lisa Wilkinson, who um did the first television interview with Brittany higgins we had senior members of our media fighting over Brittany higgins story from the beginning and you know they won major media awards a television award and a newspaper award for telling Brittany's story and the story has been now shown being shown to be absolutely full of holes i mean britney higgins has written a Hurst has been paid $300,000 for her book about what happened to her, and it looks like it now probably can't be published because ma- a lot of what she said has turned out to be lies.
2: Mm. And, Bettina, how influential do you think her story has been uh, or was on, on Scott Morrison's election campaign?
0: I think it was, Well, obviously, it wasn't the only reason the government had been in power for a long time. You know, it was going to be very difficult for them to be re-elected. He'd been a... Um, Particularly disappointing, Prime Minister, in all sorts of ways. for conservatives who once supported him—he uh, made some really bad errors. For instance, he apologised in Parliament to Brittany Higgins before the case, the criminal case, was even heard. I mean, that was an outrageous thing to do. Um, uh, so I think I, I think his, his day had come anyway. But it was certainly very damaging to him and. Created this, you know, a further narrative that feminists were pushing, that the government was um, not sympathetic to women, was wasn't interested in promoting women's issues, and they they did a really good job promoting that.
2: Well, you mentioned Lisa uh, Lisa Wilkinson there, who is a, uh, a TV personality, and I guess you could call her a journalist. I, I don't know, I don't rate her that 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 high, but. Uh, she's come out of this as as looking like a complete letch. I mean, some of the audio that that you hear on this thing, I mean, she she sounds just like an awful opportunist. And the the the, the comment from her actual uh, show, the interview that she did with with, with Higgins, the, the 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 comment that sticks out to me the most is, "There's no easier place to rape than Australia's Parliament House." I mean, that is the most ludicrous sentence I've ever heard come out of someone's mouth. I mean, what did you, what's your take on, on Lisa Wilkinson?
0: Oh, Lisa Wilkinson, I knew Lisa well when she was a young woman and she did, you know, she had an extraordinary career as a, a very young editor, of one of our major women's magazines. Um, And it seems to me that her career has really got, she's become more and more popular. She's become less and less ethical in the absolute critical moment for me was when she won an award for her interview with Brittany Higgins. And this was just prior to the criminal, Bruce Lehmann's criminal case being heard. And she gave a speech accepting that award where she made it clear that she believed Brittany. You know, that uh, she made statements to the effect that, the, you know, she, this was an award for telling the truth about this rape accusation. And the case had to be postponed. The whole case was postponed for months because the judge determined that that had jeopardized the chances of his, you know, having a proper trial. And um, I mean, that was an outrageous thing for someone who claims to have been a journalist for 40 years to have done, or 30 years, whatever it was. Um, but as you say, that interview was also extremely damaging to her where she plots she coaches Brittany and what to say i mean how unethical is that
1: i'm staggered that they recorded it it's a it reminded me of of it's like when you find out when you listen to the richard nixon recordings you're like why did he record this stuff like it's so incriminating <laughs> and, and when i heard yeah. the same thing when i heard all four of them eating nachos and slot, you know sliders uh and 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 talking about um uh like they were in a movie or something i was like is, did, did, who pressed record, and why are they saying? Why are they all saying such silly things on on audio?
0: Yeah, I mean, it is an amazing thing that that was available. Um, but what what is even more amazing to me is that should have had real concrete impact on a, on a huge range of people, including two government ministers, who then in our what are our Senate Estimates Committee's parliamentary committees but lied and said they'd not been informed about the Higgins um, rape accusation um, prior to it going public. They absolutely misled public, misled the parliament, and that should be, a you know, they should have had to stand down over that. And our media, mainstream media, is still absolutely turning a blind eye to all of that. Brittany Higgins was apparently given up to $3 million compensation for the government because she said she'd been so... This is even after the whole criminal case has fallen apart. This is after she's been cross-examined in that criminal case and lie after lie was exposed during that cross-examination. I mean, that was the intriguing thing, that her story fell apart in court and at one point she sort of disappeared. and and. You know, that whole case was held up because she'd apparently gone into, you know, she needed mental health support. But um, it was painfully obvious to when watching that case that she was crumbling under cross examination. Her case was being exposed as really weak. In fact, our federal police had spent three months examining her evidence prior to ultimately charging her and determined there was not there was not enough evidence to charge Bruce Lehrman. And they were overruled by an incredibly political um, public prosecutor who obviously wanted this to be his showcase. And he made the determination that it didn't matter what the police uh, felt about this case, he was going to go ahead and this was going to be his baby. And, I mean, it's just gone, the whole thing has just gone on and on and on because since then we've had... Um, a, a major inquiry into how the whole case was handled by the the local government the act government uh you know four weeks of of uh, um examination of all the key witnesses and that prosecutor had to stand the dpp had to stand out I mean, he's, he's actually taken leave and then, and then had to extend that leave because he was shown to have manipulated this case appallingly and lied to the chief justice and done all sorts of things because he wanted you know this showcase And, and there were things that haven't yet even come out about that dpp's behavior um so i mean it's a gift that keeps giving but the point i was making or trying to make ages ago was that what really appalls me is the mainstream media's reporting of this and even this week here is this woman who was given three million dollars by our government apparently because she claimed um that she could never work again because she was so damaged by her rape accusation the rape accusation which failed to stand up in court and she's been given this huge header and last week she was uh, photographed standing outside the un in geneva with her new job she's apparently got an internship this is the feminist network uh, led by our former Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, getting a job for the girls, and they don't give us stuff about the fact that this woman has been totally discredited. Well,
1: before we skip down the road too far, I think it's only fair that we, we, we talk about Bruce Learman also. Uh, he famously remained silent throughout the, the entire court, the court case in, in contrast to, uh, to Miss Higgins. And once it was all over, he did the the, the sort of tell all interview with 60 Minutes, which which we've we've seen. Uh, what's your take on on Bruce Liam and his you know his actions as far as we can know them, and and what he said about it all?
0: As far as remaining silent in in that court case, that's exactly what all criminal lawyers would would advise uh, a uh, person who's been accused to do. I mean, it's very rare that anyone in that sort of court case would speak and they're not advised to do so. <clears throat> He's been accused. The The complainant, Brittany Higgins, is required to give an evidence because she's making the, the accusation. There's no requirement on him to speak at all. And, it, you know, it's very difficult for a person in that situation to tell their story. Um, he has since then explained exactly what happened to him. I mean, there were funny things about his story. He claims he was going into Parliament to pick up his keys and then... Drink
1: some whiskey, pick up yeah. his keys, take some notes for a minister.
0: There was some confusion around that, you know, that he he ended up doing some work, writing. He'd been out having drinking with some people from the Department of Defence and he wanted to make notes about that, so on. Um, you know, there are questions one might ask about that. But, you know, the idea that he was planning to seduce her, we have all seen the CCTV images of Brittany Higgins going into Parliament, the two of them entering the lift together. He, was, he showed, his body language showed absolutely no interest in her. He was on the That's phone. That's true,
1: actually. He wasn't, yeah. he, wasn't, um, he, wasn't uh, well,
0: he wasn't. He wasn't chatting around, he wasn't. And he clearly, and he walked off in the other direction. You know, mm. there was, he was in there for 45 minutes. It takes 15, 10, 15 minutes to even get from that lift through to the officers. You know, this. anyway, I mean, the whole thing, I I believe um, Bruce Lehmann's story, I I think he had a a girlfriend, he was texting his girlfriend during the evening. There's no reason why he would take up with this girl uh, that night And 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 all the footage, the evidence from the drinking beforehand, he wasn't coming on to her. There was no good evidence supporting the fact that he was trying to seduce this girl
1: he's quite young though isn't he isn't he isn't he like 20 he would have been 23 or something and 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 although he comes across as as a man uh, well well beyond his years uh still it's for me watching it was a fascinating watching that interview i thought there was so much that 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 worked in his favor but there's just a as you say a couple of things that really got me it's that it's that um rashomon like uh set of reasons why he's going back to the office which was weird 40 minutes. That's weird. He was there for 40 minutes. I'm like, mm, I don't know. Like, something doesn't quite add up. They didn't just go and get something and leave. Oh, so, what, I
0: mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean, we don't know. But I always ask the question why would he? Were you going to rape someone in Parliament House? I mean, are you, he's Is not it possible a
1: they had sex and it wasn't rape?
0: Well, it could. Well, maybe. Maybe it was you know consensual. I mean, it just doesn't stack up to me. It's a very no. ambitious go-getter young man to take that sort of risk. I mean,
2: well, it's interesting, I, I watched the 60 Minutes uh, interview with Bruce Lerman with my wife and, and I, I got I dragged her into it because I sort of wanted a female opinion on Lerman and because, and you know, I, I'm a man, I don't really have, I, I don't have that spidey sense that some women have. Like, no, You don't know anything about women. That's true. Say. <laughs> but you know I, I wanted to know if if to, for, from a woman's point of view he looked like an epic creeper or not but but my wife thought he was very credible and she believed him and she just, and this is interesting because my wife knew nothing about the case at all. I don't know how she got this far without knowing anything about it, but she was outraged by what what the, the evidence that came came out about, about Brittany Higgins and, and her, her behavior like like uh, before the allegations came out, you know she was absolutely outraged
0: yeah and it's interesting that, that bruce now has people stopping him in the street saying good on you mate i believe you you know he's i mean he's spent years hiding um nervous of even coming outside the front door and now he's got this sense that finally people are getting what happened to him and it's as much, you know it's not so much about what he said but it's about how she's been exposed as a conniving you know manipulative lying woman
2: Well, you know, this this case was used to highlight uh, a quote woman problem in the Liberal Party and in politics more generally with, uh, you know, Lisa Lisa Wilkinson saying on on the project, as I said earlier, there's no easier place to commit a sexual assault than in Australia's Parliament House. Uh, uh, What do you think this case uh, says or highlights about how
0: politics works in this country? (laughs) I think we should all go and shoot ourselves. I mean, it's very depressing. (laughs) How... uh, (laughs) how the real issues don't get a look in you know look at the current discussion around the voice which is being used as a diversion i think by um the albanese government to try to get the focus away from the absolute disaster which is our economy and the mess they're making of our economy and the ab- incredible struggle lots of ordinary people are having to survive let alone to heat their houses You know. Uh, this happens all the time. they they pick they find ways of using of manufacturing issues, uh, to create diversions, to manipulate political events, and to avoid the real issues. And it really is most depressing to me. And particularly, of course, i I hate the way uh, the women's issue is is used politically. When I know most most women don't believe all this rubbish. I mean, if, what, the interesting thing to me about the criminal cases is they are tending to fall down in courts. The feminists are pushing case after case of often what are false allegations through to court and they get then confronted with a jury of ordinary men and women and the women are just as likely, if not more likely, to find the woman and uh, to find the complainant, the, the guy who's been accused, not guilty because they know women lie. They don't believe all women. They know women can, can be conniving bitches and they don't get the women's issue and that's not their high, top priority.
1: So the historical argument, uh, which is supported by many of the women in my life, is that uh, women are disadvantaged by the system as it currently stands. This is something we hear a lot. Uh, that the reporting process and the legal process are designed to sort of dissuade or punish women from reporting their, their assaults. What, what's your take on... You would have heard this before, Bettina. What's your take?
0: Oh, it certainly was true in the past uh, and that it was, a you know, a big ask for a woman to report a rape in a system that gave her very little protection and made the whole thing a, a total ordeal for her. And But there's no question over the last few decades... That has been absolutely reversed. They're doing everything they possibly can uh, to encourage women to come forward with these sorts of allegations, um, to believe the woman, to set up protection so that... I mean, Brittany Higgins didn't have to go to court. Um, she didn't have to appear in court. She didn't have to be named. She chose to do all that. She chose to make herself the object of that huge public scrutiny. She chose to be cross-examined in public where she could have done everything by videotape. She never needed to appear there. She never needed to go near that public setting. Um, and they've done all that to make sure women who want to make, you know, come forward with, with accusations about what's happened to them, Get a proper hearing and get protected and treated respectfully and confidentially, and that is exactly what happens. Uh, we have said, seen this. In fact, checked the figures a few months ago. We saw a massive increase in the number of rape accusations being made to police after the Higgins thing exploded and all those cases going to court, but a lot of them are falling down because they then face juries who look at the facts, who make a decision about, it. it's usually a, he said, she said, you know, decision to make, who do you believe? There's no other evidence. And not everyone believes women, you know, and I think that's a very good thing.
2: Yeah, well, but there are a, a fair amount of supporters out there and, and I wonder about their motivations, you know, um, uh, we'll never really know what happened behind closed doors with 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 Higgins and, and Lerman, um, but but Higgins is clearly acting out of self interest and and not to help the next generation of assault victims as as she claims. You know, what what does the average woman get out of supporting Higgins?
0: Oh, I think it was a very seductive story initially. You know, it, it was just mesmerising this idea of the vulnerable young girl and the corridors of power you know it it resonated and it was blown up again and again and again. She gave a, a um, an address to the National press Club alongside the woman who who was then our Australian of the year who was a victim of sexual well she had a sexual relationship with a teacher in her school and he went to prison so she and she was, in a sense, the ultimate rape victim—you know, very vulnerable girl having having a sexual relationship with a much older man uh, who was in a position of power. Now, Higgins gives a speech to the National Press Club alongside this rape victim, and interestingly, the rape—the great the, the woman's name is Grace, Grace Tame. She has now taken down her her photographs, her messages. Um, praising Brittany Higgins, she no longer wants to appear with her. And that's very telling And because they were all over each other. Um, but I think a lot of people got sucked in and the, 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 it was a very popular narrative. And, and, you know, what really worries me is how women embrace the idea that they're, they're victims in this culture, that they're always vulnerable. They have to live in fear, that all, they're all potentially dealing with predators every time they go near a man. And we're teaching that in our schools. We're teaching consent courses, which are all about demonising men, which never talk about women's responsibilities for what happened to them, which never mention the fact that if you get totally pissed off your head, you are not in a good position to make decisions, responsible decisions about sexual relationships. And yet they're told, no matter how much you have to drink, he is always responsible. You know, we are teaching women from childhood to think of themselves as victims and vulnerable, and men as dangerous and predators. And that is what I think is playing out in our culture, and it really bothers me. And it really bothers lots and lots of women who write to me saying, "Why are we do this?" I'm of a generation of—I mean, I grew up and I became a young adult at the first real i mean it was the second wave of feminism i suppose in the 1970s we were absolutely celebrating our freedom to take risks to go out at night to not have to be chaperoned to not have to have you know brothers or fathers supervising all our activities we could go out there and make decisions for ourselves what on earth has happened to women they are embracing this idea of always being exposed to risk it is simply not true men are much more likely if, if we talk about the risks of going out at night men are much more likely to be to experience a sex, a, a physical attack than women are they are much more vulnerable to 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 violence um you know there are lots of places. I am sure you guys. There are lots of places you would not walk by yourself at night. Is mm, that right?
2: Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess. Yes. Yeah. I guess because we're, because we're in this area, you know, I should. I want to ask you about this this idea of of women's safety. You know, you often hear people say that, that that women should be able to wear what they want and walk anywhere at any time of the day or night, which which I agree with. But at the same time, you'd be naive to think that there there are no risks involved in that as well. You know, like you know, I was thinking about this the other day, like I'm a responsible driver, I never speed, I don't drink and drive, but I always wear a seatbelt, you know. So what what do you say to the feminist argument that that women shouldn't worry and it, it's up to the men to just stop raping?
0: Look, we talk, uh, obviously there are predators out there, there are dangerous men out there, <clears throat> but there are also dangerous men who are interested in harming men. Men are vulnerable too, we never talk about that. <clears throat> and the idea that, Women should be denied, you know, never be exposed to any risk. It's just ludicrous. I'm a cyclist. I'm a bit of a weekend cyclist. <laughs> I love getting on a bicycle. Um, and I wrote recently about cycling and how, you know, there's this new campaign that you have to make. We have to make cycling say, safe for women. I mean, cycling is. You know, there's a huge element of cycling that's about risk. You know, it's about getting on your bike and going out there and doing something which is a, you know pushing the limits a little bit in terms of, um, you know, if you want to stay safe in a car, you stay safe in a, in a car with your seatbelt on. But if you want to do something a little bit risky, you get on the back of a bike. And the idea that we have to construct all these, um, you know, cycle lanes and we can't have any, we have to make it safer for women to cycle through the big cities. It's just madness. Um, Why should every sport, every activity be catered to the most neurotic of women in our society? Why do we pander to this total neuroticism, which isn't there in the majority of women? There are plenty of cyclists who are happy to be on the streets alongside or joining men groups cycling with men. Um, They don't always have to be on cycle tracks in order to enjoy a weekend cycle. But it applies across the board, this nonsense.
1: Well, in one of your um, recent uh, Substack pieces, you talk about scope creep, which reminds me of one of our earlier guests, uh, Dr Nick Haslam, who uh, actually uh, introduced the, the concept of concept creep, or the term concept creep, in terms of medical diagnosis. He was talking about the broadening out of, of the ideas of trauma and things like that. Can you tell us about scope creep in, in relation to sexual misconduct?
0: Yeah, what I was talking about—the fact is, um, we had a a member of parliament recently who was talking about how she f- didn't feel safe in parliament, and that she what and, you know that someone had made a sexual approach to her, and she which she defined as sexual assault. And the media took this up, um, and that's the sort of scope creep I'm talking about. That anything that happens to a woman, she can describe, decide to describe as sexual assault. Changing the definition, sexual assault is supposed to be sexual activity. You know, it was originally it was confined to intercourse, you know, something being inserted in the vagina. And then it's gradually been broadened to include sexual touching. But it's supposed to be it's not supposed to be someone bumping into you or, you know, putting a hand on your back as you go through the door, whatever it is. And there are, there's this constant merging of the boundaries now where um, sexual harassment is endlessly expanded to include all sorts of what we would have regarded as normal behavior. I had a teacher who wrote to me, and he had asked a, a colleague, a, a fellow teacher, to some a school social event with him. And in the end, she'd said no, and that was fine, but obviously someone had learned about this, and, and so he suddenly had a call from the, HR people saying if he did that again, he'd be, you know, he was at risk of losing his job because that was sexual harassment. He'd ask a woman once out on a date. She'd said no. He'd accepted her decision. Um, and yet people are blowing this up into something it absolutely wasn't. And I see, we, I think we see this throughout our workplaces where no one says boo anymore, let alone flirts or makes a sexual joke or we're absolutely constraining normal um, social interaction between men and women in all sorts of contexts. And I think there are many women who feel they've lost something in that process. I mean, women who enjoy banter, who enjoy, you know, you have a boring work <laughs> job at work. And one of the things that made it fun was to, you know, go in there and flirt a little bit and. You know, whatever it was. Listen to. to I, th- the I think I've them.
1: even heard Catherine Deneuve, a uh, uh, you know, French actress, talking about how she she loves it all, loves flirting. I think she might have even gone as far as to say slap on the backside, something like. That. <laughs> <The> <laughs> French are a diff- The French are a different uh, breed. though.
0: So. Oh, I know plenty of Australian women who like to slap on the backside. You know, and one of the things that came up in one of the recent discussions around well, it was around this this member of parliament who made the comment about sexual assault was turned out that another mp amanda stoker said that man had touched her on the bottom and she just told him off and said that's not appropriate blah blah, blah. And that's how adult women handle this sort of stuff you know if a guy says something you don't like you say something to him if you like it you say you know you flirt back at him why can't women handle themselves why are we treating us all as infants in need of protection
1: this just feels like a one-way ticket because you know and I'm not advocating for anything but uh, I, but no matter what we uh, whatever you say is beyond the pale like whether it's you know obviously yeah slapping on the back seat okay fair enough we're not doing that anymore and you go asking someone out and you go all right okay we're not doing that and then the, then it comes down to um, oh, isn't that a nice dress? Okay, we can't say that anymore. And it feels like there's there's never going to be a point where where people come into work and say, you know what, we're going to take that back. You're allowed to say you look you look uh, nice today. Like that's never going to happen. Like it's once it's gone, it's gone.
0: No. I mean, I don't know where this is heading. I can't see any way of all this pulling back. And I mean, I probably won't, won't be around to see what happens. But I like to think we'll can't find a way out of this madness, but it's hard to see how that's going to happen. I mean, the feminists have such control over our society and they are controlling the whole public dialogue. I mean, look at that Brittany Higgins case. The whole first year, nothing was published questioning her story. Um, Mainstream media was just blanket, you know, hero worshipping of, of Brittany. And it was only finally when the court case started to fall apart that a few people were brave enough to say what's going on here. And then we had the, but I mean, no one, I mean that the control people have uh, is one of the things that really worries me And anyone who sticks their neck out to challenge what's happening in terms of the narrative gets destroyed, which of course is what happened to me. I mean, I, I spent 30 years in the media speaking out about men's issues. And then I was given—I'm sure you know—I was given a government award, an Australia Day honour, for my work for men, for for gender promoting gender equality through advocacy for men. And of course, it was—I re- mean, I probably shouldn't have allowed that description <laughs> to go ahead. It was somewhat naughty of me. But I mean, I was making the point that I see myself as promoting gender equality um, through. Uh, working for a, a proper level playing field between men and women. I don't want advocacy for women at the expense of men, which is what's happening now. And I was given this award and within hours, the feminists had prepared their attack on me. They rolled out two Attorney General. They condemned me in the Senate. They promoted endless lies and misinformation for me. They released doctored videos of my work. Which misrepresented what I was saying and doing. They captured my Wikipedia page and they absolutely destroyed my public reputation. And it was a lesson. I mean, thousands of people wrote to me saying, Thank goodness you've done this. I wouldn't dare. Look what happened to you. And now even the conservative media won't touch me. I mean, I'm not. I'm hardly ever on Sky News anymore. I was on there every week. Um, you know, you name it. All the big conservative organisations are wary of me now. What does that mean? It,
2: it, it seems that the, the, the feminists have won.
0: Feminists won. Well, in, in that sense, I, mean, I am still here and I have a thriving, I'm writing on Substack and I have, you know, I somehow get 15,000, 20,000 people reading my blog, which is pretty good. Um, and, you um, more and more people, you know, volunteering to help, donating to various campaigns I'm running. Um, There are people across the country really alarmed at the grip of feminism on our society and wanting to help. And that's very encouraging to me. We speak
1: to a lot of feminists, Bettina, and I think what they might say is um, they might say they might question which feminism you're talking about maybe liberal feminism because that even a lot of the the radical feminists we speak to or the gender critical feminists that, that they um have a very different perspective i'm not saying they they wouldn't uh, not like your work but but at the same time i feel like um there's a brand a confusing brand of of liberal feminism uh that's out there that is probably that's mainstream that's really Quite bizarre and seems to work again, not in the interest of women much. uh, To be honest with you, and what's your take on 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 the nuances of feminism?
0: Oh, I can't be bothered even thinking about it.
1: (laughs) I tried. I tried. You can't say I didn't try.
0: No, no. I mean, I know there are differences, and there are people. You know, they're supposed to be marginally more sensible feminists, and I used to call myself a feminist, but. In the end, they, they essentially they end up singing from the same songbook. They all end up applauding the fact that every major appointment we have now, that you know, head of the Reserve Bank, you name it, we knew that was going to be a woman. No one would dare appoint anyone to a major position of power in our society now who wasn't a woman, and that's the fact. We have I did a big analysis of our public service uh, a few months ago and 70%, 60 to 70% of our major government departments are now women. And these are the people making public policy, making decisions about where the funding is going to go for, for instance, suicide prevention. Six of the eight people who kill themselves every day in Australia are male. Most of the funding is going to women. How do you explain that? None of the suicide prevention, a research that's going on addresses the real issue of what is it that is causing men, so many men to kill themselves. They talk they do research on encouraging men to cry more. Men should reach out for help, you know, all that sort of soppy stuff that they think is solving the problem of male suicide. It's not the reason men are killing themselves. A lot of the reasons to do with false allegations. We know the highest rates of suicide associated with um, relationship breakdown and all the consequences that follow in our family court system, which is now totally weaponized against men where Women are advised by their lawyers that all you need to do is claim you're afraid that he could be violent and you will get more of the assets. You can get him thrown out of the house. You could get him not seeing his children for two years and then that will mean that he can't possibly get joint custody. He will have to pay for supervised contact with his children. I mean, that's all out there. And that is one of the major areas causing men to kill themselves, and our national bodies won't touch it.
2: Well, it's, it's definitely a, a depressing topic, and I th- I believe we actually covered that uh, at length in our previous podcast uh, interview with you, so I, I encourage people to, to check that out. But maybe if we can put a bow on the, on the Higgins case before uh, we move on to uh, debanking, um, do, do you have a sense of of how uh, th- this this Higgins saga ends, and and more broadly, do you think this this uh, this is sort of the the nail in the coffin of the Me Too movement in Australia?
0: Oh, um, well, how Higgins saga to end? It's very interesting to know. Um, we've got a new national corruption organisation, and they've been referred this question of the payout. Three, up to $3 million payout she received for compensation from the government. Um, one would like to think that that could lead to a, a recommendation that yes, she has to give the money back. I don't even know whether that's possible to get that money out of her. Um, I'd like to think that uh, uh, the feminist network would come to their senses and realise they're no, doing themselves no good, from continuing to promote a woman who's been thoroughly th- s- exposed as a scoundrel. Um, I think the media movement has suffered some major blows in recent years. We had a, a number of well-known actors and prominent media personalities who were accused of under the you know in, uh, of sexual harassment or whatever, sexual assault. Uh, big cases that fell down. Jeffrey Rush, you know, a bunch of them. We, in fact, hardly any of the prominent media personalities who've been accused. Have ended up with a case with you know the mud sticking with it, with it being convicted of any any um, crime. So that's something. Um, I don't know. Is it going to peter out? It's hard to know. But it's had such a pervasive effect on our society. Just that that mentality of men as the predators, women as the victims. You know, is that going to change? I don't know. I like to think there's a younger generation of women coming up who are going to take a good look around them and say, this is not for me, you know, I'm an independent woman capable of making decisions for myself and I don't want this endless protection and I don't want to see all males as dangerous. Do,
2: do you think do you think that the the sort of the trad woman movement is is going to gain traction? Where I mean, there's a certain you know, I guess it's a very niche and small movement of like the trad wife, like like women who you know are into baking and and looking after their man and staying home and that sort of thing.
0: I think that's disparaging. Actually, you know, <laughs> I mean, I have always been a big supporter of the sensible women in Australia, which is the majority of mothers. Who make a decision to spend some time at home with their children and they get absolutely no support bugger all government support but it's the right decision for their families and for their children children i think absolutely need the care it doesn't have to be a mother it could be a father but it the ideal situation is to have a parent looking after them when they're babies and toddlers, it's not good. We have really solid evidence that it's not good for babies to be long in childcare for long periods. And yet all the push is to get women into childcare. I mean, all the push is to get women to continue to work through their lives and to support childcare and to push children into you know being looked after by people other than their parents. That's, you know, most Australian women don't want that. If they had the choice, they would certainly spend more time out of work or going back to minimal work that they can put, fit in around their children's needs when they're tiny and that's the right decision for our society and it really bothers me that we don't support that
1: i'm glad to hear you say that bettina because we've got a baby and we, we she's in uh, daycare two days a week and that's as much as we we have to do that unfortunately because of the way things work now but but I'm just fascinated by, by this, this uh, lies that people, or, or rather the stories we tell each other, everyone says the same thing. They go, oh, like they, they have to put their kids in daycare and they we all end up saying to each other, oh, it's good for socialization. It's good for this and that. And, and all I'm thinking is, what's it teaching my kid? It's teaching my kid that that relationships should be transactional, short term, not family, not, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't understand why we persist with this. How old is your baby? Uh, she's one. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, one is round. one is the turning point because kids aren't social until they're one. I mean, they just want some love, known people looking after them. They don't. They don't. If you put them next to another child, they take very little notice of that other child until they reach that age where they're becoming a bit more interested in other kids. Um, and. You know, think about how we react when a woman has twins or triplets or let alone four or five kids to look after. And yet we're putting underpaid women, usually, into childcare centres to look after five babies. And I was talking to a woman the other day who's who's in that job. They barely have, they have no time to cuddle that child. They barely have time to feed them, yeah. change nappies, do the absolute basics, and those babies learn to cry and be ignored. That's the essence of it. Different once they get to be the age of wanting, to, you know, wanting to interact with other kids. And, and it's a different thing once they're one or two or four. But even then, they shouldn't be there for, you know, from seven in the morning until five at six at night. Mm. That is madness putting children into childcare for longer hours than their parents actually work. What are we doing to those children?
1: Well, uh, while we still have a little bit of time, I think we should cover uh, debanking, uh, which is another of your latest pieces on Substack. Uh, I think some of our listeners might never even heard the term. So debanking, Bettina, what what is this?
0: Well, debanking has only just been invented. The latest feminist weapon to attack men. (laughs) I mean, it's an amazing thing. Uh, you might have heard about Nigel Farage a few weeks ago popping up saying he'd been cut off from his, you know, his bank was pushing him out. He wasn't, they weren't going to handle his his banking anymore, apparently because of his political views. And, of course, it's been happening, you know, the, the truckers in Canada, um, were fro- their accounts were frozen. So there's a bit of this going on. This is, you know, using banking to assert political and social control. And to my absolute horror, I found, discovered a few weeks ago that NA, NAB, N-A-B, had announced that they were starting debanking of Australian, well, not men, they don't define it as men, but essentially men, people who are accused of financial abuse. Now, if we were really looking at this rationally, we'd know that one of the biggest issues there is, of course, senior abuse is... is El, you know, abuse of old people who, you know, may be being looked after by their kids, and the kids have control over their money, and there, it can, there can be real financial abuse in that situation. But the emphasis from the banks, from and NAB's latest announcements, is all about um, this being done by your partner, and or every photo, every promotion is full of photos of downtrodden, miserable-looking women. There's never any attempt to suggest this could be done by a woman to a man. So it is reading to me very much as an attack on men. And so the banks are announcing if someone makes an accusation that they're being financially abused, they're prepared to suspend or cancel the man's accounts. And the Australian Banking Association has said there is there will be no evidence required to prove that accusation, which is just gobsmacking, mm-hmm. you know. So, so you can go. What's the threshold, and- or how
1: do they how do they uh, conduct the investigation? Could you be just an email? I or know We don't know. Like-
0: nothing has nothing has been published about that. It's simply announced that they're prepared to do this and that they're going to, if if there's an accusation of financial abuse, meaning, you know, a woman is being denied access to all his accounts or, you know, is not getting the amount of money she wants to spend or whatever it is, you know, is feeling that he's depriving her financial assets. She can make an accusation and his bank accounts can be frozen. Now, how come this can be announced and no one gives a stuff? It's not a murmur when a bank makes what they see as a virtue signaling um you know gesture look at this good thing we're doing and we have all the feminist organization there's a gender violence research network which is doing research into financial abuse there are all these feminist organizations hopping on board this um and yet you know the banks you know are out there doing this to men setting it up and
2: No one takes any notice. It it sounds a bit like the Salem Witch Trials. You know, you can have people pointing fingers and then that's it. You know, you're burnt at the stake.
0: Well, that's right. I mean, this is just a new arm of this whole mighty weapon of domestic violence. This is seen as one new aspect of domestic violence. And as usual, we set it up in a situation where we don't ask any questions. You know, there's domestic violence leave that the employers are required to give um, the corporations are offering to their employees. Can you imagine a woman goes along and says, I need leave next week. Cause I'm a domestic violence victim. The bank, the, the, the corporation, whatever it is, is not going to ask, what's the proof that you've been abused. They just take the woman at her word. And this is, applies to all these new aspects of domestic violence. There's never any evidence required. An accusation is enough. So be warned, men, I would strongly suggest you get, if you're anywhere near heading for a messy divorce, you get your money out of NAB. And Westpac and the Combank are promising they're going to do the same.
2: Well, Bettina, I I, I guess the the feminist pushback to that would be, oh, well, you know, women, women, most sensible women would never make this up would never go you know would would never go to the trouble to go to their employer and and make up you know a re, a reason to get leave you know they're, they're victims of of domestic abuse and and i guess they might also say that you know that the small handful of of women that might do this is is worth it you know it's worth the price for helping out all the other women that that are genuine i mean what what would you say to that
0: I'd say there are, you know, there's no question there are genuine victims of financial abuse and domestic violence. And there, you know, there is a genuine problem at the heart of this. And what they do is set up a situation where women who choose to exploit it, you're right, it won't be, hopefully, it won't be many women, um, but let's wait and see. But the, the opportunity is there to make an accusation and to benefit and from that um by damaging your partner and the trouble is when we go through divorce we're not at our best (laughs) most of us who've been through the horrible process of breaking up a marriage know that you find yourself doing things you later look back and regret and you're angry you're hurt he's doing something you don't like, and this is an extraordinary gift to an angry woman and you know all she needs is her best friend in her, you know whispering in her ear saying oh why did you do this the bank, this one of these feminist organisations, is promoting all this, has said, you know, you can actually damage their credit ratings. That's the next thing they've got as part of this package. I mean, you're you're really annoyed with him. Why wouldn't you think of adding that to the to the many ways you'd like to get at him for the, all the dreadful things he's done to you?
2: Mm. Well, this this debanking phenomenon does extend further out uh, past domestic violence to to more political uh, positions as well like Nigel Farage who who's you know has had his bank account sort of closed and and I believe also the guys who run the trigonometry podcast yep. I mean that's got John and I worried uh, they they've had some issues with their banks and also with platforms like PayPal and and also crowdfunding things as well the, the sense I get is like you know, I mean, these organizations and whoever runs them, you know, there must be the arrogance of these people to, to feel like that they know, you, they know who someone is or they know what someone's about. Like, I mean, you take the, the Canadian truckers, for example, I mean, they were uh, protesting vaccine mandates and some of the COVID restrictions and uh, largely uh, their viewpoint has been vindicated. I mean, vaccines don't stop transmission. Um, you know, that don't help that much in terms of, uh, you know, the, the whole COVID situation at large. i, I mean, got to mention COVID. Why could bring it up. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'll delete. <laughs> no, I won't. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, just because things change. Like you have a viewpoint at, at one stage uh, in, in time and then it changes. So what are they going to do? They're going to open the gates to all these these people who were outspoken of COVID, you know?
0: I mean, I, a few years ago I was raising money for uh, to support a, a guy who'd been falsely accused, he was a tutor at Melbourne University, and I just did a GoFundMe. GoFundMe closed it down, and and they at least they reimbursed the people who donated. And if you look at GoFundMe, it's full of people, um, you know, raising money for you know, rape victims or whatever. But because it was a man who was being involved in a criminal case they they felt they had the right to close it down it's just extraordinary my youtube i used to get youtube videos be you know i've had three quarters of a million people look at some of those in the past and now if i put up a video i like if i get one or two thousand um because they shadow ban them they do all the tricks where they're totally buried um you know all these big organizations think they are doing the right thing in supporting the noisy position, you know, the people who make all the fuss and they ignore the fact that the majority of people may in fact be supporting what I'm doing. I think I, I have enormous support in the community for my works supporting young guys who are falsely accused, but it's not the people who are controlling the narrative in our society are the feminists and uh the you know believe all women and men are all predators and that narrative has such a grip and somehow all these major media organizations think they have to support that view
1: i feel like the uh, the um the interest special interest groups i understand their position because they're doing obviously what their their mission statement says but it's when a bank or when an or when a, a neutral organisation. Uh, what we used to think of as neutral as uh, gets involved and starts taking up this stuff. How do we put pressure on 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 these entities to do what they should be doing, which is um, I don't know, like uh, delivering to their shareholders, uh, being about being a good business, you know?
0: Not getting involved in social issues that are none of their business would be good for a start. I mean, you know, I mean, whether whether it's corporations, you know supporting the yes case on the voice or whatever it is they seem to see mean, that's that's been a hilarious one to watch because you know the 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 um all the big organizations that signed up to that are now beginning to wonder whether they back the wrong side which is very awkward and then shows they just mind their own business look after their shareholders do what they're meant to do which is make money you know Um, but we've been involved for instance mission australia you know charity organization Um, running a campaign on homelessness a few years ago, which was all about women escaping dangerous men, as if that was the major cause of homelessness. For a start, you know, the vast majority of men sleeping rough in our society, but people sleeping rough in our society are male. No question. And, of course, you can play with the statistics, and if you include people, you know, who didn't quite have the right accommodation, that whatever, you can get women's percentage to go up. But if you look at who's on the streets, it's mainly men. And we, we, we so we got domestic violence victims, male domestic violence victims. We set up a meeting with the CEO of Mission Australia and said, what are you doing here? And they listened. And they've actually, I think they had an occasional homeless ad which featured a, a, a man who was in a situation of domestic violence as a victim. Um, but we have to fight back. In my blog. I'm constantly saying the problem is they only ever hear from the other side, and that's why feminists are able to control the debate because the the silent majority never dares speak up, and we have let them get away with all this crap, and we have to get active, whether it's you know going along to the head, you know the the principal in the school and saying your your um, HR person is misrepresenting you know, sexual harassment, whatever it is, we have to give the voice. And I have this little army I'm running here who I'm, I'm systematically sending, I'm sorry, I send them draft letters to send to the banks. I send them, you know, trying to get everybody to get active and not allow our voices to be drowned out. And, well, you know, that's
1: what I we think, have to do. I think- I think that that feels like a a, a natural uh, a end point there, Bettina. But we want to give you the final word if there's anything we haven't we haven't covered or any any final uh, uh, words you'd like to pass on.
0: Well, no, it's I mean a great pleasure. I'm pleased, very pleased you asked me again to talk to your audience. Um, sorry, I'm so croaky today. I don't know why that is. Um, anyway, I, cause I probably talk too much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's exactly why we got you on.
0: And, you know, I, I welcome, particularly welcome the opportunity because I don't have the opportunities I had for so long to speak to mainstream media. But um, I hope many of the people listening to this will think about what's going on and why aren't they willing to speak out about the other side of the questions that are so often misrepresented in our society.
1: What Some of the things you've had to say today will challenge some of our viewers, and I like that. And, you know, uh, so... You know, I encourage everyone to, you know, with all of our guests, to, to uh, you know, just have an open mind and listen, and who knows, you might just hear something you agree with. Thank
2: you. Well, Bettina, thanks so much for coming uh, coming back on the show. It's been a pleasure. We, we do have a final, quick question that we ask all of our uh, in, uh, all of our guests, and we'd like to know what you're reading right now.
0: I'm reading a biography by a woman called Susan Johnson who talks about living in Greece. I mean, I read avidly. I read. i usually read fiction. Um, and um, try to get away I mean, if, it, if anything mentions sexual abuse if anything mentions feminine I don't go near it I want to get away from work and, and have a bit of relax and stop, stop my stupid brain thinking all that.
1: <laughs> and where can people find you online where can they where can they find your work Bettina?
0: Substack just if they go look up Bettina aunt and Substack and it's, their blogs are free you can sign up so I hope people will have a read what I'm
2: doing. We'll, we'll, we'll provide links in our show notes uh, to your substack for our listeners.
0: Thank you very much.
2: Thanks again, Bettina. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The New Flesh Podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live The New Flesh.